I remember I kind of started this pursuit back when I was in Kentucky in the 80s, but um, um, I, used to, I, I got really hooked on a, a contemporary Christian artist, uh, the music of Keith Green. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Uh, Keith was a guy who was, um, uh, evidently he was, a, he was very interesting before he met Jesus because a lot of his songs, he's apologizing to people he was close to uh, before. And uh, I, I, I love him pleading. And there's one particular song that I remember from some of the albums I had of his where he's pleading with his yet um, uh, non-Christian parents. And he says, all I want is just to see you there, talking about heaven. Well, Keith um, uh, was kind of radical in many ways, in his look and in his music. And um, he did a radical thing back in the late uh, 70s and 80s, he decided that, that the Christian music industry was too commercialized, so he decided that he was just going to give away all his music. And he was prolific. Uh, in, our, in our services, occasionally we will sing, There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ the Son. That's a Keith and Melody Green song. Um, but he just decided to give it all away. So he, he mortgaged his house to pay for some of that. And... Um, um, but one particular late album during this period of time was an album that I owned. I wish I still knew where it was. By the way, it was, it's probably on eight track or cassette. You know, I couldn't would have anything to play it on. But um, it was an album called No Compromise. He, and he was a guy that just wasn't going to compromise. Don't we occasionally struggle with doing the right thing? or sometimes even with knowing what the right thing is that I need to do. My issue often is when we're trying to uh, build consensus or uh, when we're trying to, trying to come up with a compromise, uh, either of those things may often be the end of progress. Uh, sometimes we don't, we don't need consensus. We need to just do the right thing. Sometimes uh, the compromise sounds really good, but I'm glad for the story that we're going to study today about three men who just would not compromise. Remember last week we talked about the four men wouldn't assimilate into Babylonian culture. We're going to see three of the four of them today who just wouldn't compromise on there, there were some core issues, one in particular, that they just weren't willing to give in on, and they said, I'm not going to compromise on this, and it almost got them killed. Three captives in a foreign land give us a great example of refusing to compromise in the face of even deadly consequences. So we'll talk about that today. Let me give you a little bit of background, and if you will, please, Turn with me to Daniel 2, because I'm going to refer to a little bit of it. It's interesting kind of what happens between what we did last week and what we're doing today. Uh, last week's study focused primarily on the young man Daniel, even though his three friends in captivity were also involved. Today will be about them. All four of them have been taken into exile in Babylon in about 605 B.C. Now, Daniel is described as having the ability to understand visions and dreams of all kind. And so if you read chapter 2, he's, he's in an interesting test. What was the test in chapter 1? Do you remember? It was his diet. You remember? It was, it was we're not going to eat what everybody else eats, and we'll be healthier. 
Remember? Well, the chapter two was a little more critical. Um, uh, there were all of these satraps and uh, wise men around the king, around King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a disturbing dream, and he calls all his guys in, and they can't do anything with it. So he calls in Daniel, and the test was extreme. Uh, it's interesting how Daniel comes through in spite of this, but at, at threat of his own life and at threat of the, the lives of those who were not godly but were part of his wise men, his magi, so to speak, the king says, I want you to not just interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what the dream was. You ever had one of those where you ate pizza right before you went to bed? And you have a, you dream in technicolor and you wake up and you think, well, that was interesting, but you don't really exactly remember what it was. Well, the king says, I don't only want you to interpret the dream, you're going to have to tell me what the dream was. And the, uh, the men around him could not do it. And Daniel has the boldness, and you can read these words in, in chapter 2, verse 45. O king, I'll tell you the meaning of your vision. And he begins to recount the vision and then unpacks for a whole chapter, a long chapter, the meaning of the vision. It's a very interesting chapter of the Bible. So in response, the king makes Daniel a ruler over all of the kingdom, over the province of Babylon, and he places him in charge of all of the wise men. Now, when you see that phrase and you read it in your new international Bibles, wise men, uh, just because we talked about this right before the end of the year, think of the word magi. That was that group, okay? Um, so Daniel's in charge of all those people as, as an Israelite, as a Hebrew, while he's there. So uh, Daniel then requests that his fellow uh, exiles, his fellow countrymen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be placed as administrators over the province of Babylon. Why would he do that? couple of reasons, probably, huh? Why would he do that? He trusts them. He's in charge. He knows of no more trustworthy people than the three that came into captivity with him and been through the same testing that he's been through. Okay? Um, he knows of their ability, and he knows of their faith. And uh, so, uh, none of the four of them have compromised. None of them have assimilated in a Babylonian culture. Uh, and so he says to the king, I'm going to place my three friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, in leadership with me. Now, by the way, you don't read those three names except once in this book, I think. But I'm going to continue to give their Hebrew names as long as I can remember them. Uh, the other three are much easier uh, for, for us to roll off the tongue. So, today's text finds what the Bible is going to call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just south of Babylon, uh, the city of Babylon, um, there the king decides to build a 90-foot statue of gold. Impressive, huh? Impressive. We'll, have, we'll talk a little bit about what the statue was. Um, Rhonda and I were talking at breakfast this morning. She assumed it was a, it was a statue of him not necessarily, we're not really sure uh, what, what it was. It just says it's a statue of gold. But uh, it could have been of Nebuchadnezzar himself, or it could have been of, of his 
personal God, kind of the, his prime God, uh, a, a God by the name of Nabu or Nabo or Nebo. Uh, you can read about him in Isaiah 46. But um, we know that was kind of his, his kind of patron God because he's named after him. The Nebuchadnezzar includes the name of this God. Is it, is it a statue to his God? We don't know. Is it a statue of him to himself? Might have been. This guy had a pretty good ego. Okay. 90 feet tall in gold. I got thinking about, I wonder if they had to put guards around it to keep people like Joe and me from going trying to chip a little chunk of it off. Yeah, just, yeah, for pocket change, sure. Well, so he erects this and then uh, he um, uh, calls his kind of, so many of his handlers together and they decide that when uh, the instruments play, it's an interesting list of instruments uh, that are going to play, um, uh, including bagpipes. I just think that's funny. But there's a lot of, lot of instruments that are going to play. When, when this cacophonous music plays, everybody in the kingdom is supposed to bow to the 90-foot statue. All right, now, when this is presented to our three Hebrew friends, they just say, no, we can't do it. And it's reported to the king that they can't do it. Now, why can't they do it? Well, there's no difference in the golden calf, just bigger, probably. It, it really defies the first couple of commandments. Don't make any other gods before me. Don't worship any other god before me. Okay? They're just not going to do it. And they, they let the king know that. The king says, okay, either you do this the next time the music plays, or you're going to be, he threatens them with capital punishment. And their means of capital punishment in Babylon was, um, was this uh, furnace. And we'll talk about the furnace in a little bit. Now, he offers them a chance to change their mind, but despite... Um, Despite his threat of capital punishment, they're determined not to change their mind or to bow. Now, in Daniel 3, if you remember last week, Daniel offers an alternative to the king's edict, and, the, and they take him up on it. There's no alternative here. It's either bow or die. Okay? So let's get into the text. We're going to start, Steve Blair, if you'd start, we're going to start with verse 19. Um, and read down through 23. Here's where we pick it up, where they have, uh, they have refused to bow to the king's statue. don't like to be told no. And they did twice. Not going to do it. And so the king becomes 
furious. Uh, the, the word in the New American Standard is the word wrath. I think in your NIVs, if you're reading NIV, it probably uses the word furious. The king became furious. Um, um, it's the idea of, let me read a, a little bit of verse 19 to you from, um, from the New American Standard because it uses a different word. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. Okay? Um, uh, and it talks about, and then this is missed a little bit in the NIV, I think. It talks about, what does the rest of verse 19 say uh, in the NIV if somebody's got it in front of you? His attitude toward them changed. Sorry. Makes this work. Is that better? Okay, fix it. His attitude toward them changed. All right? And his attitude showed on his face. Now, have you ever been... You ever been with a leader or with somebody and you're in some kind of fairly tense negotiation and you notice that the longer you visit, the redder their face is getting? That's our buddy King Nebuchadnezzar at this point. He's hot. He's furious. He's mad. Um, so he, um, you could argue that one of the descriptions of him changing his attitude was... Um, Maybe he clenched his teeth. What is it? That, what is your? Do you have a tell when you're mad? I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. You know, can can people watch your ears get red? Or I mean, does it start with your neck? I mean, or is it something you do uh, that you say? What's your tell when you get mad? Well, the king had a tell, and he didn't mind uh, whether it was telling or not. He's just hot. So, uh, he, in verse 20, he calls upon some guards to throw these guys in this fiery furnace. Now, look at the description of them. Valiant warriors who were in his army to tie them up, okay, in order to cast them in the furnace of blazing fire. He has already ordered, turn, turn the thermostat up. To seven. I know, well, you know, turn the thermostat up seven times hotter than it already is. My guess is it would have been, it would have been um, effective at whatever level it is. Now it's seven times hotter, which I find that really interesting. The, the men who were in charge of throwing them in this furnace were strong and they were fit. They were probably the best um, uh, prepared, be the best physical specimens in the kingdom. They would have been able to stand, withstand whatever pressure. They certainly had no trouble in binding the hands of our three heroes. Uh, yeah, Joe? Good question. I'm going to answer it in a minute. But that's a wonderful question. It's a wonderful question. Uh, my wife asked me the same question this morning. Where was Daniel? Let's, in fact, let's talk about it now. I, I read six different ideas about where Daniel was. Okay, I find some of them laughable. Okay, um, He was away on government business. One, could have been. He's not even mentioned, which is just critically absent. I mean, he's just interesting. Um, he was busy in a cabinet meeting. That was one. Wow, come on. Surely he would, if he was a cabinet meeting, by the way, I'm killing your three friends, uh, time out. Remember, he's in charge. Um, 
Maybe he was too ill to attend. That doesn't sound right. Remember, he was in peak physical condition, as all, all four of them were. It could be that his governmental status was so high that although he was present, he was not expected to bow to the image. Now, I think that's kind of interesting. Could it be that he and Nebuchadnezzar were tight enough where Daniel had already said to him, you know, buddy, you build this big thing that you're going to build. I'm not going to bow to it. And the king said, okay, just don't make a big deal out of it. It could be, could be. Um, uh, or his reputation was so highly established that jealous opponents dared not call his actions into question. It could be that he's fairly Teflon, that he's untouchable. But I find it intriguing that Daniel didn't get in the same trouble that his three, three friends did. And I really don't, I mean, take your pick of what explanation. I don't know. I'll say it again. It, it, it's, it's so interesting, Karen, that it's, there's nothing in there about this. That it, that it begs us to say, where's Daniel in all this? And I don't know. Hey, uh, you know somebody's in there. We're going to find that out, aren't we? Okay, so, so if you read verse 21, okay, uh, by the way, Brian warned me this morning that I don't, I don't fill in your blanks for you well enough. Verse 19, the king's rage turns into action. He's enraged and it turns into action. I'm going to take care of this. By verse 21, what the detail that we get in verse 21 suggests haste in punishment. They didn't get to change their clothes. There's no preparation um, other than binding them. The king's men make haste. Um, they, um, uh, king says, get them in there now. Uh, even I think some of the peril that the king's men face have to do with they didn't get a chance to really prep for this. Uh, and so I was in a meeting this week where somebody looked across the table at me and said, when do you need this? And I said, yesterday. I got a feeling that's what this king said. You ever said that? When, when do you need this done? I need it yesterday. And it, I got a feeling the king said, uh, these men said, uh, it's going to take a little bit to get that furnace turned up and get those guys in there. When do you want this done? And I think the king probably said, now. Or he might have said, yesterday. So, a lot of haste involved in this. If you read verse 22, notice the urgency of the king. That's what goes in your next blank there. For this reason, because of the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot. What happened to the men that he sent to throw our heroes in the fire? They died. They died. Um, uh, it's just very, very interesting. They'd had no time to make precautions. They didn't get to put their fireproof suit on. You know, any of that kind of stuff either. Uh, it's just tra the tragedy that took place because of this. Now, in verse 23, I begin to think about, and I don't know, I'm just trying, maybe in your mind, you can imagine what this furnace might have looked, looked like. Some of the reading I did said that it might have been a, some kind of a, 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 a vertical furnace, a stand-up that, that literally uh, what happened here was they had to climb up steps to get to the entrance of it and then toss the guys in. Uh, and what may have happened is as they ascended the steps, that heat, the guys walking up it couldn't stand, the, the, uh, the guards, and they died along the way. I really don't know, but, but the detail in verse 23 indicates that they fell 
in the furnace. So there's, there's some kind of a vertical thing going on here. Um, it's an upright furnace with stairs maybe or, or something like that. Um, and it would have caused a longer exposure for the guards than just saying, here, get in there, okay? Um, uh, and um, uh, whatever it was, um, whatever it was, Somehow the king could see in. Now, I, I really can't figure that out, so, so you'll have to help me figure that out. However it was set up, the king could see in it. Yes? Debbie? I, I think it probably was some kind of a kiln. Yeah. Which may have had a... But how did they... St they stoked it from the bottom. Maybe that's how he could see in. I don't know. But, but it says... They fell in it. They were pushed in it or whatever. But the guys that were handling them uh, lost their lives. That's the picture here, okay? The king could see in. Now, I, I try to come up with several questions for, for application for you and me, but, and I won't spend any time on this one, but it just, it's an obvious one. Will your faith stand the heat? And I'm going to define heat. Stay with me, because I'm going to define heat at the end of this. Will your faith be able to, faith be able to stand the heat of life? Because I'm telling you, what happens is as I go through life, my faith is stretched and pushed and challenged and heated seven times some days. Will your faith be able to stand the heat, the pressure of the moment? Now, I want to go with me because it's not in, in what I put on your outline today, but I want us to read. Uh, Cindy, would you mind to go back and read verse 24 and 25? It's just going to give us needed context. Here's what happens next, and uh, I'll comment on that just briefly at least. Cindy, would you mind to read that? Okay, now, the king expects shrieks, screams. He doesn't hear that, and so he goes to check it out. Can't figure out what's going on. I expected to hear these guys wailing by now and done away with, and he doesn't hear that, and so he goes to check it out. He asks uh, some of his handlers about it. Uh, hearing none of that kind of thing, he takes a look in, inside. What does he see? He sees an extra guy. And we've got to deal with that, all right? But notice also his reaction in verse 26. Somewhere between erecting this 90-foot statue and getting ticked off at the guys for not bowing to it, somewhere between that and now, he's been humbled. That's what goes in your blank there for verse 26. Look at verse 26 just real quickly. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belt. I'm sorry, wrong chapter. Uh, got to turn my page. Here we go. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace. By the way, that was a perilous place to be, a, a, a blazing fire. And he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. You servants of the Most High God. You catch that? And come here. 
and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego came out and into the fire. Uh, it's interesting to me. There's some change here, I think. He's not as arrogant as he was in verse 19, I don't think. And certainly not toward the beginning of the chapter. He, he references even Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah's God, the Most High God. By the way, uh, don't, don't go there probably here. Nebuchadnezzar has not become a believer. Nebuchadnezzar is still a, a, a pagan. He's still a polytheist. He may have, though, reached the conclusion after what he deal, dealt with with Daniel, uh, maybe even on a daily basis, and certainly what's happened in here, that evidently uh, the three men's God is the big God. Now, he would be right, but only partially right. Notice here he's been humbled a bit. By the events of the last little bit. Now, I want you to help me. Let me, as I read 27, I want you to tell me what the officials around all of them, the king included, what did they observe? Listen to verse 27. He calls them out. They come out. All right? And here's what, here's what happens. What do you observe here? Here's, here's what happens. Here's what they observe as they come out. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the furnace of the blazing fire. I'm in verse 26. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, so this is all the people in charge, the governors, by the way, with the exception of Daniel, evidently, the governors and the king's high official gathered around, and they saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. What did they observe? Just what? Their clothes were fine. They were just killed guys that tossed them in there. What else? <laughs> we were talking about this this morning. We went to a taco place to eat yesterday, and she said, uh, I still smell like tacos. <laughs> the boys didn't smell like tacos. They didn't smell like the furnace. Yeah, anybody ever say to you, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there? Okay. <laughs> they didn't smell like they'd been smoking. Uh, by the way, don't judge me for that one. That was just an old... Yeah, Doyle? Prove that. That's a good one, Doyle. Daniel knew what was going on, so he just kind of, he took a chill pill. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe Daniel was in that group and said, hey, take a look, guys. I don't know. He may have. I mean, there's, there's just nothing specified. All of it's hot, you know, hypothetical. They didn't smell. Uh, uh, like I, I was listening to, Joe, you would love this. I was listening to the Statler brothers this morning singing a song called The Fourth Man, and it's about this story. When they were little kids, I mean, they were young. Um, uh, what, why I'm pointing to you is uh, Johnny Cash. They were, it was on a Johnny. It was a video on a Johnny Cash show. Johnny was dressed just like you are today. He he looked cool. I thought that's Joe Jones, not Johnny Cash. Um, uh, anyway, they they sing this song called "The Fourth Man," where he said they didn't bow, they didn't bend, they didn't burn. You heard that song? Didn't bow, didn't bend, didn't burn. You've heard it, Carol? 
All right. Now, so they're just scratching their heads. You know, we don't see any evidence. The only thing that's that's gone, that's burned away, is what? Their fetters, the ropes, whatever they used to. And I think it's really, really interesting. They're freed. In fact, when the king looks in there, he sees them unbound, unfettered. So when they're looking at them, the clothes didn't burn up. Their hair didn't get singed. They don't smell like smoke, but the fetter's gone. Pretty interesting to me. Now, verse 28, let's read it. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. By the way, in, in my particular translation of this, any god is small g, except their own god is large g. That's appropriate. Okay? Because there is none. There are none but him. Uh, the basis of what happened here This courageous and defiant action is their uncompromising faith. It has to be. And the truth is that the law got changed. The law of the land that Nebuchadnezzar had spoken into being and written and sealed with his signet. The law got changed because of the lack of compromise of three people in all the kingdom. And they were aliens. Not going to do it? The law got changed. Okay? There's no record. Who knows? There's no record that they started playing all this cacophonous music after that and everybody bad. My guess is they gave up on it because three men said no. Three men said no. No compromise, an uncompromising faith. Now, I wanted to take a few minutes this morning to apply this, two kind of things that I want us to recognize here, all right? Uh, I want you to go back to a couple of verses that are not, that are just previous to, to what we began reading in verse 19. So go back to verse 17 and 18, and it, it's part of um, uh, Mishael and, and Hazariah, and, um, Hananiah and Azariah's response to the king's edict when he comes to them the second time and says, you're going to do this, and they said, king, we can't. Part of their answer to him is found in verse 17 and 18. Uh, John, can I get you to read verse 17 and 18 out of chapter 3? That's as strong as a passage as anywhere in the Old Testament. Okay. God has the ability, they say. He is able to take care of us in the fire. He's able. But if not, that's what goes in your blank right there. They had an if not kind of faith. Or an even if faith. I think is how it said it. Even if faith, look, 
Let's look at it again here, verse 17. If it be so, even if he does not, so that's what goes in there. Even if God has the ability to take care of us, he is able. We trust him. We have complete assurance and faith in him. But even if, that's a really hard place to be. I'm not sure all the time I've got even if faith. How about you? I'm, I'm, I really think I'm farther along than as long as everything's going well, I'll follow him. I think I'm farther along the path than that. But if you, if you read my journals or if, you, uh, you know, if you're listening when I'm praying, you realize that I complain a lot about a lot of stuff. You know, never satisfied. The three men just said to the king, to the to the the most powerful man in his kingdom, they said to him, "You know, uh, Charles walked out a bit, Kathy, go Kathy." But my favorite Charles expression is, "God's got this." They said that, and they said, "But you know what? Even if he doesn't save us from the fire, we're good. We're good." You know, we trust him. Do you trust him even if? I don't like the answer in my life sometimes to that. Do I trust him even if? Well, and the second application here is just so vitally important. When the king looked in the furnace, he saw the three, their fetters burned away. They were free. They could walk out of there whenever the king called them to, right? Their clothes were unsinged. Their hair was not even burned. And they walk out when the king calls them. But when the king looked in the fire, he saw not three, but four. Now, who was this? Lots of stuff written about this, believe it or not. Who was the fourth man? Oh, what do you think? A lot of people think it was Jesus. That was a pre-incarnate Jesus. By the way, that would be an indicator if you, if you read the first three verses of John, the Gospel of John. Jesus didn't just come into being in a, in a manger in Bethlehem. He's always been, always will be. He's eternal with God the Father, part of the Trinity. Could it be that Jesus showed up? You know, a lot of people think uh, um, that uh, Jesus was also Melchizedek. Uh, you know, that, that had something to do with it. I'm not sure that I, that I go with that. I'm not sure that I go with Jesus being in the furnace here with them. But I know God was there. I'll tell you who the king thought it was. Look at verse 28. I'll tell you who the king thought it was. Um, uh, look at verse 25, and then we're going to look at verse 28. Here's verse 25. Um, he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, it's interesting. When the Statler brothers sing their song, they sing, they say the son of God. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar says. A son of the gods. It looks like some, some important person, a son of the God. The king thinks, okay, by verse uh, 28, look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. Now, I don't really trust Nebuchadnezzar's theology here. 
Okay, I'm not saying that. But Nebuchadnezzar at least thought it was an angel. And I, did I say this to you last week? The two angels, Gabriel and Michael, both appear for the first time in the Old Testament in Daniel. Could it have been one of those guys? Maybe. Maybe. Don't know. They, they, they come on the scene for the first time by name in the book of Daniel. Not with Mary and Joseph. You know, Gabriel's activity there. All right, so... Could it, I don't know, could it have been an angel? Could it have been a pre-incarnate Jesus? Maybe so, I don't know. But no matter, okay, they knew what you and I need to know, that whatever fire you're in, the fourth man can always find you. They weren't hidden from him. There it is. From God himself, from whoever the emissary is that he sent, whether he sent his son or sent a messenger of, of, of like an angel. Wherever you are, whatever fire you're going through, the fourth man can always find you, okay? Maybe your fire is a doctor's office. Maybe it's emergency, an emergency room. Maybe it's a courtroom. Maybe it's an operating room. Maybe your fire is a funeral home. Maybe your fire is a house that's way too empty these days. Maybe your fire is an unemployment line. What you've got to know, according to God's word, and, and a kind of a loose application of, this, of the message of this story, at least for me, is I will never go through a fire where the fourth man can't find me. Wayne? <laughs> he was throwing a stake to the lions. By the way, next week we're going to be in chapter 6. We'll see what happens there, okay? All right? No matter what fire, what's the fire you're in? I bet you can name it like that. Economic fire? Maybe it's um, a worry over a job or the loss of a job? Maybe, maybe it's you know, the report came from the doctor's office and it scares me. Maybe it's I'm facing a surgery. Maybe it's somebody recently or soon. You're going to have to deal with the funeral director, the unemployment line, the family counselor. I want to promise you that regardless of whatever fire you go through, the fourth man can find you. You couldn't hide from him if you wanted to. You just couldn't. And the key to remaining cool in the furnace is watching for him and listening to his voice.